How's everybody doing? Good? Uh, if you're new here, I, I always try to say a couple things the 4.30 service special because we don't live stream and so we got no service after it and all that. And uh, the reason we stand actually is because at that moment in morning services is when at every location has live worship and then we sync up together for um, for the sermon. And so that's the time when all the screens and the sermons in different locations are all together live. And so if you're wondering why that little stand moment is, that's, that's when we have what's called a worship merge and all the campuses come together. And so that is, uh, that's what we do. And uh, man, thank you for coming to the 430. God's doing so many special things in our church. I'll share a couple win, a few wins. Everybody knows Pastor Jason and the chaplain Richmond had our biggest attendance in, in years today. But one of the amazing things that's happening last week is we had, we went out we lost power and uh, and the power ended up being a big problem outside the building and so I'm so thankful he uh, we had prayer every day this week with the most illegal um, heaters I've ever seen what were those called it's like a torch heater and so you know the kids are walking in and we got these torch heaters just just blaring and uh, and, and just uh, and he sends us a video like we're praying today and I'm like oh my gosh and and so uh, I'm just so I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that will do whatever it takes to keep going and so everybody's safe roast marshmallows and all that and so how amazing is that? And then so so thankful. I can tell you we're in day, uh, this is day eight of 21 days of prayer, but I will never get over how hundreds of people are committed to prayer and in our church. In fact, do you know, yesterday morning, uh, both campuses were full, but we were in overflow at a prayer meeting. Come on, in overflow at a prayer meeting. So thank you for the ways you pray. God's answering prayer. Not only that, I, t- I was talking to a guy in our church. I was at a leader's dinner on Friday night, and he said to me, he said, um, I can't came to 21 days of prayer, not sure what to experience. And for the first time in my life, I prayed for 20 minutes in a row. And, and he was saying that like, man, I can't believe this. And I thought that's exactly what we're trying to do is just create space for, I mean, no, we're not, we're not trying to do something slick. We're just trying to create space for people to learn to talk to God. And you could talk to the God of the universe. And so thank you for the ways you've responded and rallied online. I know people have different work schedules. So so many people are online, in person, all that. But 21 days of prayer is my favorite. Of course, I'm a morning person. So, I mean, it's it's my dream come true to see the church every day at 630 in the morning. Come on. And uh, But um, thank you for the way you rally and pray. And anybody notice anything when you pulled in? Come on. How about some steel out there? And I mean, so good. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your uh, for your generosity. That's letting us uh, speed this project along. And uh, I had a little kid say, "So are we like a few weeks away?" And uh, sure, and uh, but a few weeks away from a few weeks away. And uh, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Those of you committed to this project, you see the steel going up every day, and you can kind of get the feeling of what God's going to do to make space for what um, for what He's doing in the life of our church. So we're so thankful for that. Man, I could just brag on what God's doing. We had so many people in growth track today committing to serve, jump on teams, be a part of what God's doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for um, for the ways you serve and give. You're the most loving, generous church in the world. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them you're pretty great. Come on, tell them you're pretty great. And uh, we'll dive in together today. Uh, uh, well, we're in a series. I, I feel like I'm just starting to lose my voice, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's water. I think it's just me. And uh, 
so I don't know why. Um, but uh, we're in a series called Hills and Valleys. And we did a little survey last week. I wonder if it take it one more today. I found that there are two kinds of people that like to vacation. Come on. There's beach people and mountain people. Come on. Where are the beach people? Raise your hand. Beach people. Okay. Come on. Where are the spiritual people? Come on. Mountain people. Come on. Mountain people. Okay. I think beach people just, uh, uh, the, the godless beach people edged mountain people out just little and uh, well there, there are so many when you read scripture mountain and valley experiences and so many times that God speaks on mountains speak so we're spending the whole month just looking at some bible passages where where the bible teaches what God does on the mountain in the valley and sort of using it as an analogy that that we get to encounter God on the mountain when he reveals himself to us but how many know we learn to live out our faith in the valley come on and, and in fact I had a guy tell me uh, last Sunday that he was a horticulturist culturalist, which I didn't even know that was a thing, but it is. And I call him now Dr. Dirt, you know, and he said, it's actually not dirt, it's soil. And I said, I, I, Dr. Soil has no, no flow to it. Come on, you're Dr. Dirt. And so, uh, but he told me something interesting. He said, the interesting thing is that not, when the higher you go, not much grows. But whenever you go in the valley is where the fertile soil is, where things grow. How many know whether we like it or not, God uses the valley seasons of life to grow things in us? I wish it wasn't so, but we're learning how God does that. And we're going to look today, at, I'm going to try to do a kind of a flyover of one of the great Bible characters, Joseph. And in fact, the life of Joseph really begins real simple. The Bible just tells us that he had a dream. And if you remember the story, his dream is of his brothers and his mom and dad bowing down to him in in worship and he tells his brothers this and you can imagine they don't much uh care for that you know how many know there are some dreams you shouldn't tell other people right um and and he says man you're not gonna believe this dream i have you you all bowed down to me and mom and dad isn't that great and this sort of sets a divide in joseph's life with his brothers and but I, but i just love the fact that he's a dreamer mark twain said 20 years from now you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did so throw off the bow lines sail away from safe harbor catch the trade winds in your sails explore dream discover how many know when you stop dreaming you start dying right and so I think, I think there's something spiritual about dreaming. And, and, and in fact, I have all these napkins. I dream on napkins at coffee shops and I'll have them in different notebooks and Katie will start to throw them away. And I'll be like, don't, don't you throw those away. And she's like, they're just napkins. I said, no, they're not. They're things. I just have them everywhere. I barely know what half of them say, but you know, they're just dreams. And uh, I, I know people, some people can remember, they say everyone dreams, but I can't remember my dreams. Anybody, you can remember your dreams, come on, anybody, anybody like me, you just don't remember your dreams, right? I just never remember them. I said this morning, my wife, her dream comes true every morning when she opens her eyes and takes a peek right next to her, and so... Uh, but Joseph was a dreamer. And there's something about a new year. Just sitting with a friend last week talking about resolutions and dreams. I think there's something spiritual about dreaming again. And, and so Joseph tells his dream. Long story short, his brothers don't much like it. They throw him in a pit. They, and they, instead of killing him, they decide to sell him into, into slavery. And the Bible tells us he goes down to Egypt. And, and this starts a period in Joseph's life of 13 years where he, he has to overcome this. Come on. And and there are four or five tests Joseph overcomes. And the first one is the pain test. How many know life is filled with painful situations? Come on, right? 
whether it's a, a Novocaine, you get ready for that cavity to be filled or, 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 or I mean, anything in life, life is just full of pain. And, and Joseph knows this 13 years of his life before God uses him in a great way is filled with pain. And we, we could look at his life, but not only does he uh, have poor parenting by his dad who gives him a coat that none of his brothers get. His brothers reject him. I mean, he, he's wrongly accused of a crime he never committed and sent to prison. He, I, mean, I mean, 13 years of all the worst you can imagine. In fact, finally he ends up in jail and he interprets this dream for Pharaoh. And, and the Bible says that instead of remembering him, that two years passed and nobody even remembers to get him out of jail. And he knows disappointment and pain. Can we just be honest together today that life is filled with not only great moments, but come on, painful moments, right? And, and I know you could go to a preacher in town who would tell you that if you give your life to Jesus, you'll be healthy and happy and you'll never have an issue ever in your life. But how many know that's just not in the B-I-B-L-E, right? Yeah. I mean, life, the Bible says, James 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy when you go through trials of many kinds. And so God uses difficulty and disappointment and challenges and difficulties in our life like sandpaper to, to, to refine our character and to develop perseverance in us and to do a work on the inside of our life. And I'm just telling you, one of the things that Joseph has is sort of a, a bounce back spirit and and if we're ever going to be used of God, we're going to have to learn to have that. I remember growing up, they had these, these inflatable uh, punching bag that was weighted at the bottom. Anybody ever seen those kids' bags? And they'll, they'll have a clown on it or whoever on it. And you can hit that punching bag, but how many know it goes down? But because of the way it's weighted in the bottom, what happens? It comes right back and you hit it again and it comes right back. And this is just true of Joseph's life. He, he gets knocked down and he comes right back and he gets pushed over and he comes right back and he, and he keeps trusting in the Lord. He keeps doing what the Psalm says, resting in the Lord and waiting patiently for him. And I want to encourage us to be a church that, that processes pain in a way that lets it accomplish the, the work that God wants it to accomplish in our life so that he can lead us forward in a powerful way. And if you've never experienced pain, great. Uh, you're probably lying, right? But Joseph, 13 years, trusts God and keeps pushing through and bounces back. And God eventually elevates him to a place where he can use him in a big way because he passes the pain test. And the second test I see that he passes, and this is one that I think no one normally thinks they need to face, is the, come on, help me out, the what? The pride test. And, and do, you know, do you know one of the most dangerous sins in the Bible is the sin of pride? In fact, the first sin that let Adam and Eve defy the rule of God is to say that they, could, they were going to be like God, right? And, and I think this is the most dangerous sin in our life is to think, here's all pride is. We think we have it all together. We think we're all that. We think we're, we think we're more important than we are. And the Bible teaches us that, that God wants to work pride out of our lives, that, that pride can't even get in the presence of God. And in fact, pride might be the most interesting sin because the only person who's not aware they have it is the one who has it. Everybody else can see it. In fact, I've never met anybody who's like, you got to meet my friend. You're going to love him. He is so arrogant. I'm telling you, you'll love him. 
pride, right? And, and in fact, Joseph has this pride early on in his life, telling everybody his big dreams, and, and God has to shave this off of his life. In fact, when he interprets the dream of Pharaoh, he's so focused on making sure they know it's not him, but it's God. I'll just look at it, a few of the verses. He says, it's not in me. God will give the, the, the answer, Pharaoh. I, I'm not able to interpret the dream, but God can. And then he interprets the dream, and he says, listen, I'll make sure you know it. It's not me. God's shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. I mean, over and over again, God will bring it to pass. So here's what he's doing. Even being used of God, he's making sure that God gets all the credit. How many know God is looking for people who won't take glory for themselves, but who will point glory to God, right? And he says, listen, whatever even I do is, is, is a reflection of what God has done. Do you know every good thing you have isn't from you, it's from God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? Here's what the Bible's saying. Anytime you do something good, if, if you think a good thought and execute it, it's just because you have a brain. And how many know you didn't get your own brain? God gave you one, right? I mean, you, you have a good idea, you have a gift, you have a talent, you have an ability. Everything we have is a gift of God. And God's looking for people who have humility in their heart. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time. I think God's looking for people who realize that they are not all that, because only he is all that, right? And in fact, when, when, Pharaoh, when Pharaoh gets the dream answered, he's seen so much humility in Joseph. He says, I can't even find anyone like this. And he doesn't say he can interpret dreams. He says, a man in whom the spirit of God is. There's something so magnetic about Joseph's life that he gives attention and direction and glory and praise to God. And, and I'm just reminding us today that God can't participate with proud people. And the more we think we're all that, the more we can't have an all that God in our life. And, and how many would agree there's only one great person in this church? Come on. And it's the Lord, right? How many agree there's only one great person in your home and it's the Lord? And how many would agree godly people who understand humility, instead of being served, they deflect glory, credit, recognition to other people and to the Lord because they recognize there is only one great God. And I'm just telling you, there's something about humility that God, that, that draws the affection and the favor of God. I read a study a couple of years ago that showed one of the traits in fast growing businesses is meek leaders. And this actually shocked people because there are different personality traits and everything. And they thought it would be like some superstar skill in CEOs. But one of the things that builds, builds organizations or builds communities is just people who, who just say, listen, I don't have it all together, but I serve a God who does, right? And, and Joseph had to learn that in his life. He started, a, and sometimes I think maybe when we're younger, we think we have it all together. And the older we get, we live a little life and we know a little bit more about ourselves, And we, we realize we don't have it together. I, I rarely meet somebody who's older who thinks they have it all together. Come on, how many know the only perfect parents are those who have never had a kid yet? Come on, the only perfect marriages are those who are still engaged. Come on. Because a little bit of life teaches you a little bit of humility. And, and so let's pass not only the pain test, but the pride test. This third one, man, we got to get this one because it's so true in our life. How many, know, how many know the trajectory of our life is limited by the people, the relationships in our life? And 
Joseph couldn't have been who God called him to be without the baker and without the butler and without Pharaoh's resources. And, and I think we're a product, our life, of the books we read and the relationships that are connected to us. And man, today across all our campuses, I'm, I'm not sure the exact number, but I think we trained somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 new, 40 new small group leaders this morning. I'm going to try that again because I think that maybe we're just selfish around here. You're like 40. That's it. No, I mean today, not, not in the last month, not in the last two months, not in the last three years. Come on, we trained today. Come on, somebody. 40 new small group leaders. Tons of new freedom groups. And, and man, one of the things I love is that God has made us for community. We, we have free market small groups here. And that means that whatever the passion is that God's given people, they launch those kind of groups. And, and we allow God to use the passions that he put in people's lives to, to, to launch groups. I was looking through even some of the creative uh, new small groups launching. Come on. I saw a, a small group titled Carbs and Coffee. I think carbs have gotten a bad rap, so they're just, I don't know, I don't get that one yet, and that's so good. Uh, somebody else got a mountain biking small group, and they're naming it Pedalacostals. <laughs> Come on, that's just good. I don't care what you think. That's good. Isn't that good? Uh, and we got another one that's teaching how to, te how to eat, uh, how to cook Latin fusion food. How many know you're taking that small group? And then after you take that one, you can join the next one that's, that is called Sweating with the Saints. Come on. It's an exercise group that's launching. Here, here's what we do as a group. We just, we just try to find people and figure out what their passion is and train them to take the gifts, the talent, the calling. It's not even as much always the curriculum as much as the passion in their life to create community and connect and relationships because how many know we'll only go as far as the community that we're connected to and as a church we care so much more than just the number of people that come here as the number of people that are connected in community in fact I told the church this morning we're believing God this semester to launch 50 new small groups this this semester to launch 50 50 not 15 50 five zero new small groups so that people can get connected in community. And I, man, COVID, if there's one thing I learned in COVID is that church is no fun without people. I remember the world shut down for a couple of weeks. We come in here, we preach or be one cranky cameraman and I'm preaching, he doesn't much care. And I'm like, wow, this is tough. And one of the amazing things that happened, it's one of my favorite memories of uh, that season. It's just a few weeks in to COVID, people started finding out when we were recording the service on Sunday morning and they just started coming to church. And they said, do you have church? And we said, well, we're having church. And I'll never forget the first Sunday that eight people, come on, eight people walked in the door for church. And we weren't supposed to be, you know, everyone was saying social distancing. And I was just so happy to see them. I was like, I'm good. You're good. They just hug. I'm hugging. I'm kissing. I'm kissing everybody. I'm like, I'm so glad you're here. That Sunday, I'm looking at them like, I can't believe there's real people in the room. You look so good. And I'm so happy. And I went home. I told one of my pastor friends, we reopened today. And he's like, how many were there today? I was like, best Sunday ever. Come on. We had eight people in church. He's like, eight people? That didn't feel very good. I said, man, it's better than any Easter crowd I've ever seen because I got used to preaching in an empty room. How many, know, how many know we were made for community, right? We're made for connection. We're made for one another. I'm all for online teaching and online, online worship and all that kind of stuff. But how many know there's something about being connected in community? 
In fact, I've been saying this all day. It's just been a burden on my heart. To everybody under the age of 30, let me say this. Your future, I'm telling you, be careful in formative stages of your life who you let in relationship to you. And I just had this feeling that some of the young people in our church need to let some friends go and enter into more biblical, encouraging. You know, my grandpa would say, it's a corny saying, but if you want to fly with eagles, you can't run around with turkeys, you know. And so I just want to say to everybody, a teenager, young adults, who you run with, that, that crew becomes who your future is. And there is nothing more important than having friends who love God and pull you up. Any older people say amen to that tonight? Yeah, the, the people test. Let me, give you, let me give you one more tonight, and then I'll give you one more. Here's the next one. And, and this one's so true in the life of Joseph. He has an incredible perspective. I mean, we just talked about all the pain he went through in 13 years. You would think he's frustrated with God, frustrated with his brothers, frustrated with his family. But what's amazing, if you look at Joseph's life, is how he chose to process the pain in his life. In fact, at the very end of his life, you remember, he's second in command in Egypt. He's risen to power. There's a famine in the land. And, and his family doesn't even know he's alive or where he is. And they come back to Egypt to, for grain. And his brothers actually don't recognize him. And finally, when Joseph reveals who he is to his brothers, they're terrified. And they're thinking this would be the moment that Joseph exacts revenge upon them and... Uh, the amazing thing is in that moment that they think he's going to come back on us, he says these really, this is a verse I think everyone might consider uh, memorizing. He says to his brothers, you might have meant it for evil, but God was going to turn it around for good. How many know even what is wrong, God can use for right? How many know even what, what comes with the wrong focus, God can spin around? Or you could put it this way, in God's hands, intended evil becomes eventual good. Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. How many know God works good even out of bad? I'm not saying that the bad is caused by God, but I'm saying God even uses the bad and folds it into it his purpose to accomplish his will. And Joseph has this rock solid biblical view of God that everything in his life has been father filtered, that everything must have passed through the, through the parameters of God's uh, uh, will to use it for some purpose. And, he, and because of that, he has a perspective of his life that's beyond just a human perspective. I think I've told you this story. My mother, my mother-in-law, um, uh, she grew tall in elementary school and junior high, and she always prayed that she'd be short, and and uh, she didn't end up being short. But later on in her life, she married Ronald Short. Come on, somebody. In fact, she tells the story after he, the, the minister pronounced him husband and wife. She walked down the aisle. You know, I now present to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Ronald and Doris Short, you know. And she always says, I should have made my prayer more specific to God. <laughs> and I think because she knew what it was like to, to feel like she didn't always fit in in junior high and elementary school, she, uh, she looked out for kids that were a little weird and a little odd. And wouldn't you know it, in third grade, in third grade, I had my mother-in-law in third grade. I wasn't married to her daughter in third grade, but you know what I mean, eventually. 
And I'll never forget, she looked out for me. In fact, I still have one of the report cards in, um, in my, that my mom saved is handwritten back in the day. They'd handwrite him. And it said, like, Brandon has made great progress. He even looked up from his desk and talked to kids this semester, you know. But I'm telling you, what I think God used her teaching ministry to have is because she didn't always feel like she always fit in, she looked for the kids who maybe didn't always fit in. And I was the weirdest kid in the third grade. Because of that, she singled me out and gave me a little bit of leadership and, and empowered me. And because of that was a year in my life where God began to develop some things on the inside of me. Here's what I'm telling you. If you have the eyes of faith, then you can realize that even the circumstances in life that you don't choose or you wish were different, God can fold them into his plan and purpose and use them for good, right? And I'm not here today to, to belittle any pain you've been through or to take anything that, that you process that's really difficult and say that's okay. I'm just telling you, God will, God will use it for good. In fact, at the end, we, we have a freedom groups, and we're going to talk a little bit about them next week. If you've never been to a small group, freedom is an awesome opportunity to start, and, and it helps us just all know our identity in Christ. And at the end, there's a, there's a uh, spiritual experience everybody has together, a conference. And I was talking to a guy out in the lobby after a freedom conference in December, and he said, you know what, after this conference and realizing how God used all the hurts in my life, I wouldn't even go back and stop them. He said, I think I would let them all happen the way they happen, not, not because they weren't hard and not because they weren't painful, just because the way he sealed me from them and given me a ministry through those pain to other people must have been part of his plan and purpose. How many know that spiritual maturity? When it says, I might not have picked it this way, but God's going to use it for his purpose and his plan. That, that God can take what was intended for evil and use it for good. I was just texting some of the leaders of our divorce care ministry today, and they were sharing, you know, I would have never picked 25 years ago the separation and the dissolution of my marriage the way it is. But God then gave me a heart and a burden. He's redeeming the pain to use a ministry to reach people who are going through unspeakable loss and pain in seasons of life. How many know if you'll keep a spiritual perspective. God will take even the things intended for evil and turn them into eventual good. Can anybody say amen to that tonight? That's what God does in a big way. And, and so, all right, I'm going to give you one more tonight. And you couldn't, you could never mention Joseph's life without, without doing this one. And so just nudge the person next to you and tell them one more. Come on, just tell them one more, one more. So that all the tests that he overcame, uh, not only the perspective test, but finally the pardon test. And ultimately, when Joseph's brothers stand before him at the end of his life and they, uh, he has a chance to enact revenge on them, he doesn't. And some people, in fact, preachers always preach that last verse I shared a minute ago, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, for the saving of many people. But not many people realize that um, Joseph had decided to forgive his brothers long before he saw them face to face. And he, in fact, I'm really convinced that one of the things that holds God's people back is unforgiveness and bitterness. It's just texting back and forth to a guy in our church who said, man, that's so true. The, the bitterness can lodge in our hearts and rob us of some things. And, and uh, you know, bitterness and unforgiveness towards other people 
Do you know it negatively affects our relationship with God? In fact, husbands and wives, 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7, says if there's conflict between a husband and wife, it says your prayers can be hindered. You say, Pastor, how's that true? I don't know. Have you ever tried to pray when you're mad at your wife? You're like, Lord. You feel like Adam in the garden, right? The woman you gave me, you know. She feels twice that, you know. And I think Joseph only forgave his brothers when he saw them because he had made a prior decision. Let me show you a couple verses that not many pastors look at. But earlier, before the years of famine, when Joseph had a milestone moment in his life where, where his two sons were born, Joseph named his firstborn son Manasseh. Come on, say that with me. Ma- Manasseh. And here's what Manasseh means. He said, he named him Manasseh and he said, it's because God has made me forget all my trouble of all my father's household. Here's what he was saying. I'm going to choose to forgive. And that was my prayer this weekend that God would help some of us forget the hurts of yesterday. This doesn't mean that we don't remember them. I mean, when Joseph saw his brothers, he remembered them. Here's what to forget means. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to live in it. I'm not going to let it limit my future. The first son he named Manasseh because God has called me to forget all my troubles. The second son he named Ephraim. Look at this meaning. Because God has made me fruitful in the land of suffering. So first son, God made me forget all my all my pain and trouble. And the second one, God made me, look, here's what he's saying. First son, God made me forget. Second son, God made me fruitful. In 1882, a New York City businessman, his name was uh, Joseph Richardson. He owned a narrow strip of land on Lexington Avenue in New York City. It was five foot wide and 104 foot long. I want you to picture this weird piece of property, five foot wide, 104 feet long. And another businessman owned a normal sized lot just adjacent to Richardson's skinny piece of property. And he wanted to build apartments that had frontage on Lexington Avenue. And he offered Richardson $1,000, 1882, offered him $1,000 for that piece of property. This really ticked Richardson off. And so despite him, he refused to sell the land. Finally, the man uh, thought, well, he assumed the land would remain vacant. It was such a weird shape piece of land. And so he instructed the architect to design apartment windows that oversaw Lexington Avenue. And When Richardson saw this man build apartments with all these windows facing the the avenue, he decided he he would build a building that would block the view of this man just to spite him. So at 70 years of age, he built a house, catch this, five foot wide and 104 feet long, four stories high with two suites on each floor. Upon completion, he and his wife moved into one of the suites. Only one person at a time could ascend the stairs or pass through the hallway. The largest dining room table they could make for that room was 18 inches wide. And the building was dubbed, the nickname it was given in New York City was called the Spite House. Come on. Richardson spent the last 14 years of his life in this narrow residence until he passed away at the age of 85 and it was torn down in 1915. I wrote this down when I read that this week. 
That's what revenge does. It builds a lonely house with only space for one other person. And do you know how many people are living with bitterness and unforgiveness and, and anger and frustration towards other people? And I'm telling you today, it's not that we minimize what's happened to us. It's just what happens when we hold on to unforgiveness is we become twice victims. Once of what somebody did to us, but then they continue to reclaim parts of our life when we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. I, I'm, I'm wondering today if some of us would make the hard decision to say, I'm going to forgive somebody else. Here's what message says, paraphrased of Hebrews 12. Keep a sharp eye out for the weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed could ruin a whole garden in no time. Just a thistle or two growing in my life, holding on to the anger, frustrated. I can't, did you know he, can you believe she? I can't believe they, they'll never, when can we? And it robs us of peace. Somebody said, unforgiveness is like lighting yourself on fire to try to kill the person next to you with smoke inhalation, right? It's the craziest thing alive. In fact, you know, I did this this morning. Do you know I forgave someone publicly at the chapel this morning? And uh, I kind of did it as a joke, but a guy in our church bought me these uh, yellow and blue Michigan shorts because I'm an Alabama fan and Michigan beat, and they're real nice shorts. And he packaged them up in this big box. I thought it was a nice gift, and I opened it, and here's these satanic colors and uh, and I, so I, was, I just hold, held up the shorts this morning and I forgave him in front of everybody and uh, somebody said unforgiveness is letting a prisoner go free and that prisoner is me right I'm just telling you today when we realize how much we've been forgiven by God we've got to release the uh, bitter offenses the roots of bitterness the the the, uh, the un unforgiveness the woundedness in our life come on like the great theologian Elsa said come on we got to learn to let it go baby right and just say no I'm not going to hold on to this thing I'm not going to let it rob me of my future and Jesus taught us to pray this way saying every day pray our father in heaven forgive us our trespasses as we what forgive those who trespass what a scary prayer to pray God I'm going to forgive other people and forgive me the same way I forgive other people. I love what Paul Young Cho said. He's a pastor of the biggest church in the world, Seoul, South Korea, before he passed away. He said, I pray the Lord's Prayer every day and forgive so many people because I hate so many people. I'm just telling you today, we got to release those things to the Lord. I'm not saying somebody didn't hurt you. I'm not saying you weren't wrong. I'm not saying it wasn't, it wasn't unfair. I'm not saying you have to trust them again. I'm not even saying you have to fully restore the relationship. I'm just saying this. If we hold on to the bitter roots of unforgiveness and the woundedness of our past, it'll wound us from our present and limit our future. And, and Joseph had two sons and he said, I'm going to name them. I'm forgetting all my trouble and God's going to make me fruitful in the land of suffering and I believe for some people this weekend you're going to make a decision to say pastor and Lord I'm no longer holding on to this I'm releasing it to you so that I can know the light that I can know this the light spirit of a heart that's forgiven other people and released to other people so that I can live free for all and that's why Joseph when he could see his brothers years later he could say I'm good boys I'm not coming back at you <laughs> 
I'm, I'm not here to en- enact retribution. God's forgiven me. I'm going to pass the blessing along to you. May we be good forgivers. Hey, chapel, may we be good forgivers, even in the body of Christ. You say, Pastor, will anyone, if I come to this church, hurt my feelings? Totally. I guarantee if you stay in this church long enough, come on, somebody will hurt your feelings, right? But how many know learning to live a mature faith is learning not only to be forgiven, but to forgive and to give grace and mercy to others. So, Father, tonight we give you every hurt, every wound, Every broken place, God, my friends here tonight, our wonderful church family, you know the areas of our life that we have been hurt. We feel betrayed. We feel like somebody didn't do their part, mistreated. Father, may we learn from your word the way Joseph just released it to you and gave it over to you. And he he learned to let his brothers sin go. and, And you had so much for him. So God... Tonight, with open hearts and open hands, we release the burden of bitterness. We release the, the, the weight of unforgiveness to you. And, and we not only receive your forgiveness, we pass it on to others. God, to make us as a church good forgivers, for you have forgiven us so much in Christ. With our heads bowed tonight, I know a lot of times in our services there are people in different places in their spiritual life. And if you're here this weekend, you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure I have a relationship with God. I don't feel like my sins are forgiven. The whole story of the Bible is God came to forgive sins. And he did that by sending his own son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never made that decision this weekend. You say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. Or maybe you walked away from it. You say, tonight I need to come back home. I won't embarrass you tonight, I promise. Nobody's looking around, but if that's you tonight, you say, Pastor, I'm not certain of where I'm at in my own relationship with God. Would you pray for me today? I need to get my heart right with God. Just slip your hand up real quick and put it back down all over this room. Yes, yes, ma'am. I see that. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yep, buddy, I see that. Anybody else? Just say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? I'm not certain of where I'm at in my own relationship with God. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, And right where you're seated, it's not a magic prayer, but you just say something like this. God, thank you for sending your best, your son, Jesus. I believe he was the son of God. I believe he died on the cross and I believe on the third day he rose from the dead. Today, I repent of my sin and I place my faith and trust fully in Jesus. Would you save me, oh God? Would you rescue me? Would you give me a clean heart? God, tonight I declare, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart God raised him from the dead. So God, save me today. Forgive me. Give me a new start. Give me new hope. I'm inviting you to be Lord and the treasure of my life. And I'm believing you, God, to give me a new heart, a new life, a new purpose built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just look this way. If you made that decision tonight, we'd love for you to stop by next step. We have a little card. We won't stalk you, but we'd love to help you grow in your faith. Just say, I made that decision or I recommitted my life. And we just want to help you grow in your faith and take next step. Come on, chapel. Let's cheer people on that took steps of faith tonight. Come on. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. You know that song, All My Life You've Been Faithful, we sang earlier. Anybody 
Anybody thankful for the goodness of God? Anybody, anybody thankful for the goodness of God? Come on, just hold your hands like this all over this room. We love you, God. Oh, you're a good God. You're a good God.